He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 30, Legions of Doom. On the first day of the new year, the army of the United Sodality announced they had joined forces with Superman and his Justice League in an effort to stop the aggressive expansion of Kaznia. Hours later, Lex Luthor declared his intent to put an end to Kaznian rule and his commitment to ending the Justice League's reign of power. When Superman, Batman, and the Martian Manhunter proposed their new arrangement to the rest of the League, the Green Lantern, John Stewart, took umbrage with any notion of siding with foreign powers opposing the United States. Barry Allen, the Flash, was a little surprised that Stewart needed reminding. The United States declared war on us, remember? Of course I do. I just don't think they're out of place to be upset. We still haven't met this Supergirl. Michael Holt, Mr. Terrific, interrupted to correct Stewart. Now hold on. A few of us spent Christmas with her, and she's actually a super sweet girl. That whole county fair thing was a wild misunderstanding. John Stewart glared at Mr. Terrific, who could only shrug back at him. Thank you, Mr. Terrific. I'm just saying we should think this through before we commit treason or try as war criminals. That's all. Clark was sympathetic to John Stewart. I can honestly relate, John. I really can. And we did consider this. I don't take this allegiance lightly. We aren't going to take any actions that'll make us war criminals. John Stewart was about to offer another argument when Wonder Woman spoke up. This is hardly a choice. This is a necessity. If we do not take a stand in this war, the humans will destroy each other and the Earth along with them. This is our chance to end the battle. I say we take it. When put to a vote, the Green Lantern found he was the lone voice of dissent. Within days, the Justice League was included in the war room with the United Sodality. Many of the leaders in these nations were not fully aware of their relationship with the Demon's Head, yet they welcomed the aid of the most powerful beings in the world. Their strategy was to have the heroes escort their armies to recover their lost territories. The battlefronts of Africa and Southeast Asia were the United Sodality's greatest concern. The Justice League had to be split into two teams. John Stewart took the initiative to start the process. We better figure out who's leading up which teams. Marijiwe, Vixen, naturally knew where she would be strongest. I will head the African team. These are my people. It is my duty to them. Arthur Curry, Aquaman, had almost the opposite preference. I don't think I'll be much use in Africa. Not enough ocean. I'll be in the Southeast Asia team. What do you say, cuz? Wanna head up that team? Clark kindly accepted the role. Of course I will. Stewart stammered a second before asking, Then what team am I on? Marijiwe was happy to have him. You can be on my team. I will need plenty of air support. Clark couldn't even imagine needing any. Whatever air support you need is yours. How about it, Diana, Jean Jones, 
Why don't you join Marijiwe's team in Africa? Diana gave an assertive nod. The Martian Manhunter affirmed. Yes, it would be my honor to help on the African front. Barry had a few concerns. It would probably be best to split up Wally and I and have one speedster on each team. And no offense to everyone, but I'd prefer if I can't be there with Wally, that Superman be there instead. So I'll be on Team Africa, and Kid Flash can go with Team Asia. Ray Palmer had a thought. If we concentrate our air power in Africa, maybe we should put our micro power in Asia. Mr. Terrific, Michael Holt, offered Ray his support. Wherever you're going, Miniman, I got your back. Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow, concluded the decision-making process. Bats and I worked it out. He's taking his Gotham group to Africa and my team will go to Asia. With their teams decided, Clark had to admit, the moment he had been avoiding was upon them. He fought off the urge to question their line of action. It was no longer time for that. It was time to commit. After weeks of sequestering himself at the Fortress of Solitude, Superman's arrival on the global stage required a subtle but necessary step. The satellites that had pestered him into retreating from the warfront altogether had to be dealt with. With Ray and Bruce's help, Clark formulated a plan for eliminating them. At first, Ray misunderstood the problem. If you don't want to cause any space debris, why don't you just pull the things out of orbit? Clark sighed and massaged his head. I'm not proud to admit this, but I'm hoping we could come up with something undetected. The corners of Bruce's mouth lifted in just the slightest. I'm proud of you. With that attitude, we might just pull this off. Though initially Clark imagined they would show him how to sabotage some key component of the satellite, in the end, they gave him a general strategy. Ray summarized it to him. If you approach from the direction of the sun, they won't see you coming. Once you're in range, hit him with that EMP of yours, and then on to the next one. Batman handed Clark an unusual looking GPS. Clark was unsure what the display was showing him. Looking up at Bruce, he raised a single eyebrow. Bruce answered his unasked question. It tracks satellites in orbit. The ones you're looking for are highlighted in yellow. The compass at the bottom corner of the display tracks the direction of the sun. Ray chimed in. The device is shielded from your EMP, but it's probably better you leave it at a safe distance from the satellites before you disable them. Over the course of 48 hours, Clark methodically found each of Lex's armed satellites and sorted them out. With this unnecessary threat removed, Clark was ready to enter the war. He feared it was the first of many moral compromises to come. Wonder Woman believed their entry into the battlefield would end the war within a week. Yet the Kaznian Alliance was not like anything the Justice League expected. By the time the League joined the fight, they were up against far more than just enhanced soldiers. The Kaznian Alliance had bled into neighboring territories around the world, using Vandal Savage's ever-advancing technology. They were expanding their territory all the time, unleashing new powerful weapons as they stormed over their neighbors' borders. Although they had previously been part of the refugee effort, the League had been left out of the loop in the past months and was new to Kaznia's devastating manner of warfare. At first, on both fronts, the Justice League found themselves bumbling against giant barn-sized beams of energy that gathered up and pushed back everything in their path for hundreds of yards. After being thrown a quarter mile through the sky, Clark learned to dodge these attacks. These strange cannons gave the League little trouble unless they were on the ground. There, they could be thrown around amid everything in the beam's path leaving the terrain looking as though a tsunami had passed through. More than once, Clark had to come to the aid of his friends on the ground. Wally West, the Kid Flash, was easily able to dodge it, and Ray Palmer could disappear into the tiniest crevices in the ground, but everyone else was susceptible. 
Their supersuits protected them from being hurt, but there were times they became buried in the rubble and debris. Arthur struggled a bit, being out of his element. Although buried along with the ground team, he was able to dig them out after they found themselves in a tsunami-like path of the cannon's beam. Clark and Wally worked together to disable the tanks and turrets equipped with the tsunami cannons. As they did, a strange sound rang out. From the sky, Clark looked down to see Wally trip and spin through the air in the path of the energy beam. He too became momentarily disoriented. All at once, it felt as though up and down had switched. Fighting through the moment, Clark dove down to pull Wally out of the way of the energy beam, but the strange sound rang out once more. Clark and Wally went tumbling together as they were caught in the beam of a tsunami cannon. After being enveloped in debris on the ground, Clark unburied them from the wreckage. They still continued to periodically hear the strange sound, followed by the inversion of gravity passing by like a shockwave. When they finally came into contact with Kaznia's cybernetic foot soldiers, they were met by a kind of ray gun like nothing they had ever seen. Its impact could blast them back, but it had an unusual effect on whatever it hit. Its ray beams destabilized molecular structures in unpredictable ways. They had no especially unusual effect on Clark at all, yet his friend's supersuits were made completely solid for a susceptible amount of time. Having the suit turn solid for nearly a minute would not be such a bad thing if it were not for the strange grenades the Kaznian soldiers possessed. These grenades would ignite in a sphere of light, engulfing everything in a two-meter radius. It was a small fusion reaction that left behind nothing but a tiny iron ball. Clark repeatedly pulled his friends out of harm's way when they could not move. Ray Palmer rode along with Kid Flash. From the speedster, Ray deployed himself into enemy bunkers, where he enlarged endless supplies of foam. He caused enough mayhem that Arthur, Oliver, Roy, Dinah, and Mr. Terrific were able to infiltrate the base as Wally and Superman destroyed the remaining cannons. After they had counted themselves as victors of their battle, the strange sound of the gravity inversion pulse rang out again. This time, Clark readied himself for it. As the wave passed by, he let his expectations of gravity invert. His friends were all thrown for a jostle, but he managed to stay level. The strange sound rang out again, nearly immediately after its last wave passed. The ringing repeated itself, leaving everyone but Superman and Aquaman incapacitated. All around them, as they fought to stand, many beeping sounds filled the air, ringing in progressively quicker intervals. Clark recognized the beeping as that of the fusion grenades. The Justice League was surrounded by them. In the final seconds, the two cousins grabbed each of their friends and hurled them into the air, out of the range of the hundreds of small fusion detonations. All of the advanced Kaznian weaponry surrounding them had been booby-trapped, each embedded with a fusion grenade. Clark threw Arthur last of all and bolted into the sky himself. As the momentary explosions detonated, Clark raced around, catching his friends as they tumbled downward. His half of the Justice League managed to occupy their target, but nothing was left of it. Both teams regrouped that night in the Arctic at Superman's Fortress of Solitude. The name for the Crystal Palace had been a jest by Ray Palmer, but it came to stick. Clark felt a bit embarrassed by it. Most of the time, they simply called it the Fortress of Solitude, or simply, the Fortress. But it was a running gag to refer to the palace in the possessive form, as Superman's Fortress of Solitude. The joke aside, the group recounted the day's progress to one another. The team in Africa fared much better. They faced the same arsenal of technology, yet they had three flying heroes and the Flash with them. Batman, Nightwing, and Robin rode in the Batwing, hovering above the sky. Marijiwe was on the ground, 
leading the front of the African soldiers. More than anything, she held back the line as the others cleared out the tanks and turrets mounted with the tsunami cannons. Wally West was astonished as he listened them recount their battle. He couldn't help himself from interrupting. But how did you manage the gravity-twisting thingy? Barry shrugged off the question. Oh, the gravity inverter? And just kind of rode through it, you know? Clark could relate. Yeah, I felt that. You just had to time it with the sound. Barry and Wally both side-eyed Clark with puzzled brows before simultaneously clarifying what they heard. Sound? Yeah, you know, right before the gravity inverts. Arthur had a similar experience. Oh, totally. You just have to flow with it after the sound of the bing. Out of everyone in the team in Africa, only Wonder Woman was capable of hearing the sound of the gravity inverter. There were a few groans all around as the rest of them learned that the weapon that had been causing them so much grief that day had any kind of warning at all. To Clark, this seemed to be the worst of the other team's troubles. You all had a surprisingly smooth day. Green Lantern disagreed. Oh, I wouldn't call it smooth. Those ray guns they had. Ray Palmer corrected him. They're actually more like molecular disruptors than ray guns. Yeah, those. I had to keep my distance from them. They were deconstructing whatever my ring made. They even broke through my armor. Not cool. Jean Jones also had trouble with these molecular disruptors. I too kept my distance. Not only were they quite painful, their rays temporarily took away my ability to phase through matter. This news piqued everyone's interest. They needed a better understanding of how these new weapons worked. Ray Palmer was already trying to figure that out. Any chance you guys managed to score any of that sweet cadmium tech? Batman had the same aspiration. No, they were rigged with fusion bombs. Nothing was left. Bummer, I'll have to try to get some next time. Wally groaned and sprawled himself out on the padded floor. Uh, next time? We're doing this again? It had been a grueling battle. Clark could see how much of a toll it had taken on his friends. He'd been impervious to most of Kaznia's weapons, but the others had been thrown around and buried in the rubble. Worst of all, hearing that Batman stayed in his jet most of the time, Clark was unimpressed by his own leadership skills. Like the Batwing, the Javelin 17 was capable of hovering. He shouldn't have left his team vulnerable on the ground. Over the following months, as the Justice League fought each day and met up each night, they refined their strategies against the Kaznian weaponry. Once these weapons were removed from the area, the heroes without super strength deployed from their jet hovering above. Ray was modifying their supersuits all the time to lessen the molecular disruptor's effect on them. This way, the ground team was able to escape any fusion grenades and roll through the gravitational shockwaves. Clark learned to whistle the moment he heard the gravity inverter pulse. Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Martian Manhunter developed their own telepathic warning system for the others to prepare themselves for the twisting gravity sensation. The speedsters, Barry and Wally, put their focus on finding and destroying these gravity inverters. They had yet to see this device. Every Kaznian weapon was rigged for self-destruction, with tiny fusion bombs inside of all of them. Ray Palmer attempted to capture samples of these weapons to study, yet he found his shrunken containment systems damaged on a microscopic level when the weapons inside of them detonated. The Kaznian Alliance would relent nothing without a fight. They adapted their own strategies in an attempt to quell the Justice League from advancing, doubling the number of cannons and aiming half of them at the sky. One night, as they gathered together, Jean Jones was tending to Marijiwe's injuries. She had been thrown by a tsunami cannon before she was able to use her powers to protect herself. 
Jean Jones had been able to pull her from its ray beam, but not before she was hurt. After a day of futile efforts on both fronts, Clark looked to Green Lantern for advice. What do you say, Stuart? What's our best strategy? Will you take the lead on this? John was so surprised by Superman asking that he took a moment before he knew how to respond. Uh, yeah, Superman. Thank you. I'd be happy to. So, well, uh, I guess I'd say we need a handful of new strategies. And while we're at it, we need to start mixing up our teams, too. Keep them guessing. Some days we should have both speedsters together. Other days we want to split them up. The main thing is to switch up our strategies before they figure out how to counter them. Over the course of months, Clark relinquished more leadership duties to the Green Lantern. He was clearly qualified and obviously wanted the responsibility. Slowly yet steadily, the Justice League pushed back the Kazian Alliance. Before winter's end, they had gained an ever-expanding foothold, taking back what territories the Kazian forces had invaded in Africa and Asia. Unfortunately, the Justice League's allies continued to take casualties. It was becoming clear that within their ranks on the battlefield, there were two leagues within the Justice League. Those with super strength, speed, or flight, and those without. The ongoing repetition was taking a toll on the half of the League that lacked these extraordinary powers. Even Vixen, with her animal powers, was tiring of the grind that was demanded of them. After Africa was won, she began to dial down her role in the war. She wasn't the only one. Clark could see it in all of them, yet none of them would be the first to admit it. While the Justice League fought in the war, a crime spree was taking hold at home. Task Force X was proving itself unable to apprehend their targets in the U.S. Clark arranged for Steve Trevor to, once again, provide the League with information. Steve had to be smuggled out of D.C. When he began arriving at the Fortress of Solitude for covert debriefings, he filled them in on the legions of criminals and their crimes. I'd like to say they've been going about their same old business, but that's just not the case. They formed some alliances while in prison, and now that they're out, we're finding they're far more capable when working together. Clark could see a spark light inside of Bruce Wayne as he listened. This war was having a dour effect on Clark's friend, but with a glimpse of his old life, Bruce was reminded of his purpose. Batman turned to the others. I think it's time we show Argus and the Suicide Squad how it's done. Who's going to join me? The members of the Justice League who were unsatisfied with their part in the war all chose to work covertly to find the escaped criminals. The heroes without superpowers, accompanied by Vixen, began a division of the League that concentrated on rounding them up. Batman astonished most of the League who were present that night when he revealed that he was Bruce Wayne. Clark, too, was astonished for other reasons. He would have never thought Bruce would do such a thing, but Batman explained. It's necessary. If we expect to find them before they vanish again, we can't operate out here in the Arctic. We'll use the Batcave. You all might as well know my identity if we're based out of Wayne Manor. Clark was happy that his friends who needed an out all had a means of removing themselves from the war. He did not know what the next phase would bring. Before the end of summer, Clark and the others were regrouping at the Fortress of Solitude in the Arctic, preparing to join the warfront in the Middle East. The Green Lantern had gained intel from his connections in the Marines. I've got it on good authority that the Coalition of Nations are putting all their pressure on taking Lubania tonight. Kaznia will have to send reinforcements. If we hit our targets after they ship out, we can catch them while their forces are split. Ray Palmer chuckled and smirked. How about instead, we take down all their armies in the region at once? Hold on. What now? Well, I just happened to reverse engineer the self-destruct signal on the fusion grenades. Stewart cocked his head back in bewilderment. When did you get a fusion grenade to reverse engineer? Oh, weeks ago. I caught it in a kryptonic temporal box to keep it from exploding. Clark marveled at Ray's ever-casual demeanor. 
Why didn't you tell us about it? Well, I figured there was no reason to unnecessarily worry anyone while I was crawling around inside of a fusion bomb. This answer confounded Clark. Uh, thanks? No problem, big guy. The Green Lantern was eager to pursue the matter. What exactly are we capable of doing with this information? Again, Ray chuckled and smirked. Huh. I'm thinking we can destroy every weapon they have before the battle even starts by just detonating their own fusion bombs on them. Clark had trepidations. Is this going a little too far? I mean, there are people around those weapons. It seems unfair to blow them all up before they even know the fight has begun. Green Lantern scoffed. Going too far? Using the weapons our enemies made to use on us is going too far? Ha! Huh. Get real, Superman. If we think we can do this, we have to try. The group was divided on the moral question, but Jon Stewart was not. We'll save more lives by ending this war. The longer it drags on, the more people die. We just spent the first half of this year fighting this war, but now we're being told we can just end it all this month? You're gonna turn that down? You gotta be kidding me. This is an opportunity. We have to take it. Clark wanted to make a case just as urgent, arguing against turning their enemy's weapons against them. He grasped for words to say it. It... it's not justice, is it? These kids have suffered enough. Vandal Savage has mutilated them. Why do we have to keep hurting them? Hearing his own argument conclude, Clark could see how he set up the counter-argument. Diana seized the opportunity. These children have grown into men. They made their choices and are suffering the consequences. Their humanity is already nearly lost. We would only be ending their suffering. Clark looked around the room for a voice of support. Are we supposed to abandon that bit of humanity they still have? John Stewart was firm on his position. We aren't abandoning humanity. We're saving humanity from being conquered and transformed into these freaks. Regardless of Clark's objections, the United Sodality decided to implement Ray Palmer's plan. Detonating the grenades only destroyed military targets. By their interpretations of the rules of warfare, this was all fair game. When the day came to execute the plan, Clark spent it by himself at the Fortress of Solitude. He wandered through the ancient jungles of Mars, soul-searching. He had promised everyone, himself most of all, that their allegiance with the demon's head would not corrupt them. Clark prayed this promise had not already been broken. The Kaznian Alliance's devastating loss in the Middle East was, as promised, the turning point in the war. The expanded territory of Kaznia was the final front. Lex Luthor and the Coalition of Nations had barely kept them from expanding their borders in recent months. Having proven themselves around the world, it was the Justice League's turn to end the war for good. Immediately after their fall of their territories in the Middle East, the Kaznian army changed the self-destruction protocols on their fusion bombs. The same trick would not work on them twice. The League had to go to Kaznia full force to confront Vandal Savage. Clark burned with guilt. He needed to come clean with the rest of the League. That night, when the Justice League gathered at the Fortress of Solitude, Clark confessed to them about the time he met Vandal Savage. I should have mentioned it sooner. Batman told me it didn't matter. That's no excuse, but I guess I was just ashamed of myself. Barry gave Clark an assuring pat. We've all been there, big guy. Arthur came over to his cousin and took him under his arm. No worries, cuz. Party foul forgiven. Thanks, but I feel like I should at least tell you about Savage's technology. He had this thing called a hollow prism. He held me completely frozen with it, and, well, I haven't seen them on the battlefield in all these months, so 
I'm hoping there's something that only works indoors. But even if they can only function inside, I just want everyone to look out for these hollow prisms he has. Especially if we go to confront him in his office. I couldn't move when he had me in this thing. And when he wanted to, he could make it squeeze me tighter. Hopefully, if we're lucky, that one in his office is the only one he has. John Jones had an idea. Perhaps I can peek into his mind and learn something of the defense system he has. This idea immediately prompted John Stewart back to delegating. You do that. We're gonna need a schematic of the interior of the Capitol as well. You might as well see if he's got new detonation codes in his head while you're at it. Jean Jones held two fingers to his temple and closed his eyes. After a moment, when they all expected him to awaken from his trance, his hand dropped to his side and he slumped over, collapsing onto the padded floor. He lay, slowly breathing, but nothing more. He was completely unresponsive and nobody was able to connect with him telepathically. They did their best to make him comfortable and went to the task of preparing for one more battle. After their meeting, while packing his gear, Ray Palmer's progress came to a halt. Well, folks, I think I'm going to tap out on this fight. Clark could see nothing wrong with Ray. What? Ray, you're kidding, right? Nope. Can't seem to make my shrunken gear grow. Something's blocking my ability to do it. I've been trying to reverse it, but no luck so far. I can still shrink stuff, just can't reverse it. Glad I didn't shrink myself before discovering this. Ray shrugged. The matter was settled for him. Until the rest of them found the source that was blocking his powers, he was not going to be much help. I guess I'll just stay here and look after Jean. Within only minutes, they were reduced by a quarter of their team. Clark hoped the six of them remaining wouldn't be as susceptible from afar as the Adam and Martian Manhunter had proven to be. Green Lantern created transportation for all of them. When they approached the border, it was substantially underguarded. Nearly all of Kaznia's military forces had gathered at the country's capital to protect their president. Tanks mounted by tsunami cannons spread out in an impenetrable matrix surrounding the area. The Justice League landed their jet and prepared their strategy. As they dashed in, the matrix of cannons worked as a unit to pinpoint each of them. These cannons were networked together and synchronized to precision. All at once, they unleashed their beams and the moment rang to Clark as familiar. This was what happened to him in Vandal Savage's office. Clark and the rest of them were each caught in their own hollow prism, all of them but the speedsters. Barry and Wally dodged the beams of energy enclosing them. A step ahead of this future technology, they raced through the web of tanks, disassembling them one by one. The Flash and Kid Flash could not tell which cannons were the ones holding their friends in place. Their strategy was a process of elimination. John Stewart was the first to be broken free of his hollow prism. It wasn't long after he joined the speedsters in freeing his friends that a new weapon unleashed a massive ray beam on Stewart. It was a cannon-sized molecular disruptor, made especially for the Green Lantern. His armor was instantly destroyed as he was catapulted into the distance. Kid Flash ran after him to be sure he was alright. Clark was beginning to feel himself able to move in the tiniest bit. He couldn't look around, but he felt as though something had happened to one of the cannons aimed at him. He strained to break out of his hollow prism cell when to his own relief, Barry destroyed another one of the tanks holding Superman in place. Clark broke out of the prison, and like the Flash, he raced at top speed to destroy the matrix of cannons that remained. With Wonder Woman and Aquaman freed, Clark led them into the halls of the Kaznian Capitol building. The Flash ran ahead, destroying the miniature devices that worked in unison to create the hollow prisms. They caught up to Barry in Vandal Savage's presidential office, where Superman and Savage had first met. Vandal Savage sat waiting for them, 
a fusion grenade in his hand. Well, boy, did you cry to your friends about me? Pathetic. Barry decided he had heard enough. In a blink, he ran up to Savage, took the grenade, threw it out the window, and ran back to line up with the others. The Flash had an undeniable style. Clark couldn't help but grin. You were saying, Savage? Just then, Kid Flash dashed through the main doors behind them. Vandal Savage used this momentary distraction to hurl another fusion grenade from his pocket. As it flew toward the League, Clark snatched the bomb and flung it away. This one exploded just outside the window, eviscerating the glass, frame, and wall with it. As Superman leapt to snatch the grenade, Wonder Woman snatched Vandal Savage's neck and broke it without hesitation. For a moment, Vandal Savage's body hung limp in her outstretched hand. Before she let it drop, he began to twitch and convulse. Diana jolted Savage away as he continued to shake violently. Slumped to the ground, his seizure stopped. He sat upright and began laughing in triumph. <laughs> Diana's eyes narrowed as she placed the heel of her boot firmly on his chest, pinning him to the ground. Tell us what you did to the Martian Manhunter. How do we reverse it? Vandal Savage chuckled. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid your Martian friend did that to himself. I only needed to wait for him to step into my trap. Diana leaned forward, pressing down on Savage's chest. Tell us now, or... Or what? You will kill me? <laughs> he trailed off into slow, breathy laughter. Diana pressed down further with her boot. I can make death preferable. Clark saw Diana and Savage both playing a game of cat and mouse, only they both thought of themselves as the cat. Don't bother, Diana. There's a safe behind the desk. It's unlocked with a retinal scan. To Clark's relief, Vandal Savage's thousands of years of living had granted him enough maturity that he put up no fight as they scanned his eyes to open the safe. Inside was the headband he had used to access his future thoughts. Beside it was another headband, the one Savage was known to wear in most public appearances. It was not technological like its mate. This headband was a basic silver tiara, featuring a red diamond-shaped stone mounted at its center. Savage refused to tell them any more. The room became filled with Coalition soldiers, demanding to take Vandal Savage into custody. Clark knew that the United Sodality expected custody of Savage, yet in the face of these soldiers and the Justice League's status with the U.S. government, he offered no resistance. Vandal Savage was marched away. A few minutes later, Clark could hear a commotion in the halls that left the soldiers for dead. When Savage sprang out of the Capitol building through a side door, hands still bound and covered in blood, he was met by Superman, the Flash, and Kid Flash. With the prisoner to themselves, Clark flew Savage away to the United Sodality and personally escorted him to his cell. The following few days were full of arduous negotiations between the Coalition of Nations and the United Sodality. The military moved in behind the Justice League to salvage the Cadmium technology. The United Sodality took credit for the victory, but found themselves empty-handed of the spoils of war. While Superman also attended these meetings, hoping to ensure a pardon for the Justice League, Ray Palmer investigated the headbands found in Vandal Savage's safe. At the end of a long day, in which talks were only becoming more tense, Clark checked in on Ray to see how his progress was going. Ray's powers had recently returned. He was unsure what had taken them away, but whatever the Coalition military did when they began confiscating Savage's technology had been enough. Jean Jones still lay unconscious. Clark's intuition had him focused on the silver tiara with the red stone. If it isn't technology, then what is it? Ray could only speculate. An heirloom, maybe? Hard to say. But there are no devices hidden in it, I can promise you that. 
Clark held up the tiara and looked at the red stone. Behind his own reflection, something lay deep inside. Ever so faint, he saw the ghost of Jean Jones trapped inside. This was no technology. It was some kind of ancient magic. Though Clark could not get his friend out, he suspected he knew someone who could. Clark needed someone who could contact Dr. Fate. He hoped Bruce could ask Jason Blood to summon the doctor from his tower. Flying immediately to Gotham, Clark found the Batcave shrouded in more darkness than usual. Bruce sat alone at his computer console. The monitors all turned off. Everything was powered off. Batman sat perfectly upright, staring at the blank screens in front of him. Bruce? Are you alright? What happened? Bruce remained frozen for a moment. Standing up, he unlocked his cowl and took it off along with his cape. Slowly, he answered Clark as he methodically went about applying a cream to remove the protective nanite application from his face. We thought we were close to tracking them down. Who? The Legions of Doom. Who's that? That's what Jason called them. It was his nickname for them. Bruce trailed off as though he forgot Clark was there. Nickname for who? The escaped criminals. They formed into smaller gangs. We thought we were tracking them down. But we weren't even close. It was all a trap. To break us up and separate us. That's when Jean Jones disappeared. We didn't know what happened to him, but he couldn't be reached. We lost our primary means to coordinate. Jean was telepathically coordinating with you while we fought in Kaznia? He never stopped. His devotion to the League is unmatched. When he went silent, we expected the worst. That's actually why I'm here. I've already heard what happened. Ray contacted me. It doesn't matter now anyway. He's gone. I think we can still save him. Bruce glared at Clark. We lost John Jones when we needed him most. Whatever the Legions of Doom were up to, it was all just a game for the Joker. He was luring me in, lulling me to believe my hubris. What did he do? He got Jason. He... He killed the boy. Bruce broke off. Once again, as though no one was there, he silently went about removing his gloves and boots. Clark was unsure if Bruce intended him to leave. What happened to Jason? Does it matter? No. Could you have done anything to stop it? Obviously not. Was it my fault? Bruce again trailed off. His head sank as he strained to breathe, the universe tightening around him. Slowly, Clark stepped toward Bruce and took him into an embrace. Bruce lay his head on his friend's shoulder, as his eyes released an unbeckoned flood of tears. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Son of Eld is written and produced by myself. This has been the penultimate episode of the season. The next chapter is the season finale. Now is a great time to become a patron at patreon.com. I'm already halfway through writing season three. How soon I finish might just depend on you. There are many ways you can show support for the show. Talk about it. Share it on social media. Rate and review the show where you can. Who knows? If you can't become a patron, maybe someone you suggest the show to can. I can't thank you enough for your encouragement. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, 
with additional contributions by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Joseph Samichson, Joe Serta, Dennis O'Neill, Neil Adams, Robert Kaninger, Carmine Infantino, John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake, William Moulton Marston, Harry G. Peter, Jerry Conway, Mort Weisinger, Paul Norris, John Broom, Julius Schwartz, Gardner Fox, Gil Kane, George Papp, Alfred Bester, Martin Nodell, Dick Dillon, Don Newton, Howard Sherman, and Jerry Robinson. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by Blue Dot Sessions, Spectacular Sound Productions, Johnny Ripper, Sack Syndrome, Scott Nice, Chad Crouch, Vortex, Poddington Bear, Luxalove, Evan Schaefer, David Hillowitz, and Plasticine Cowboy. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of OmenQuest cards at omenquestcards.com. Seriously, it's hard to describe these games, but they're like magic. You'll just have to try it. And be sure to listen to the next episode. Chapter 31 The Way Forward <laughs>